Sunday morning, May 4th, 1975. Helping tree climbers. Scripture is Luke 19, 1 through 10. Luke, the 19th chapter, beginning to read at the first verse. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not on account of the crowd because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will stay fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was a tree climber. Now that wasn't his profession, that was because of his problems. Little stocky Zacchaeus shall forever represent those large numbers of nameless people who have lived in every century and in every community, people who hurt, people who need help, people who are lost, but people who will not seek help openly. Zacchaeus stands for that individual who knows that something is wrong with him. But instead of going to some physical, spiritual, or mental doctor, spends his time climbing proverbial and, figuratively speaking, trees, hoping, hoping that some observant person will recognize his well-disguised plea for help and come and bring salvation. Zacchaeus, you see, is the individual who lives in every day and age who wants help but for some reason or other will not openly ask for it. You know the type of individual. 
We have them in every community, every office, in homes, in churches. They've always been and they always will be. And our big question is, how do you help a tree climber? How do you help a Zacchaeus, somebody who needs help, but really will not come and ask you for it? What do you do? Now, I could be very discouraging to some of you and say there's not a darn thing you can do. And sometimes that has to be the answer. For God and all of his legions sometimes cannot help us if we will not open ourselves to the help that God gives. And sometimes there's nothing that we can do if some person refuses to get the help that we can give him or her. Yet, on the other hand, if we are going to be optimistic, as Christians we should be, if we are going to try and seek and save the lost, there are some things that we can do. Perhaps they're not big things, but they're mighty important things. And there are things Jesus shows us in this particular incident of the 19th chapter of Luke that we can do to help tree climbers, people who may not even know it, but who are calling for help, even though they're pleased or well disguised. Jesus helped Zacchaeus by using that very small but mighty part of the anatomy that you and I are not even conscious is a great help in trying to help people. And I mentioned the eye. The eye of the head. Zacchaeus looked up. He looked up. And this brought to Zacchaeus. Jesus looked up and brought to Zacchaeus a sense of warmth, a sense of acceptance, an understanding that Zacchaeus needed. You see, the eye. That particular part of one's anatomy that is so important for our livelihood, it's also important for others. I've told you before about my father who had a great hearing handicap. The time of his death he had less than one-tenth percent hearing in one ear, and he was totally deaf in the other that he is one of the greatest judges of human character that I've ever known. And I've thought often why. And it was because he studied people's eyes. And he was not always encumbered as we are with the sayings of people because he didn't hear them. And he could not be confused with some of our idiosyncrasies when we say one thing and mean something else. But he concentrated on observing people by looking at their eyes. <laughs> and he could look clear down to the depth of his, their souls. And on more than one occasion I've heard him say, Dick, that person has a good eye. In other words, that person has something within him of depth and of magnitude. Our eyes tell us so much about who we are 
and they can also be used to help other people to know what they should do and who they are. Like anybody of nine or ten years of age, when he's given the opportunity to come to worship with the big folk, I found an excitement as a child going to the great Sixth Presbyterian Church there in Pittsburgh of being able to sit with the members of my family in worship. But after a short time, that experience seemed to be more of agony than it was of joy. My father was a great preacher, and my mother was given the responsibility of seeing that my sister and I behaved in church on Sunday. And this was somewhat of a difficult task for a nine-year-old boy and a twelve-year-old girl to sit for a total hour and, and listen. Must admit, uh, at that age, I never thought I'd ever see myself in a pulpit, and I wondered how I could ever talk so long. I know some people wonder that about me today, but nevertheless, this was a great, great puzzle in my mind. But my mother, you see, because my father was in the pulpit, she had the responsibility in the pew to keep us quiet, and she used two weapons. I'll never forget them. One was in her left hand. I sat always to her left. And she would form with that small, dainty left hand a vice grip <laughs> using the forefinger and the thumb. And when I would get to fidgeting, which usually came shortly after the doxology, <laughs> without hardly moving a muscle that anyone could recognize or see. She would reach over and with that vice-like grip cup my thigh just north of the kneecap and squeeze. And I settled down. And then when I grew old enough to know to move out of arm's reach, she used the second weapon, which she still uses on occasion. Without hardly turning her neck, she used the eye to give me a message which I had better well listen to, unless I wanted to eat my Sunday meal standing up. She could use her eye in such a way that there was not a question in my mind as to what she wanted. She used her eye, you see, as a language, as a way of communicating to me a truth. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a power that you and I have every day in our lives. We have these uh, eyes which have the ability to accept or reject, seduce or reduce, to welcome or to ward off, to show appreciation, to present disapproval. Your eye is a powerful instrument, and with it we can help or we can hurt these tree climbers that are all around us. Jesus, you see, used his eye to welcome that particular Zacchaeus. I'm sure if you and I had been there that day and see, see such an 
dignified tax collector in such an undignified position, with our eyes we would have done one of two things. We would have either blinked them with disbelief, or we would have turned our eyes in disgust. But not Jesus. He merely looked up. He looked up at Zacchaeus, and with his eye, he radiated a sense of acceptance. He gave a sense of warmth. He brought something to that man who was looking for something. Never underestimate the power of your eye in looking at these people who climb trees looking for help. Secondly, he spoke to Zacchaeus. He didn't talk to somebody else about this little man who had problems and needed help. He spoke to him. And notice what he said by noticing what he did not say. I think if I had been there that day, I would have first said, Zacchaeus, why and how did you get in such a predicament? You see, like so many, I would want to analyze the situation. I would want to try and find out what caused this man to get into that predicament. I would want to know the cause and the effect. But Jesus didn't. Jesus did not know why he was up there, just as no tree climber knows why he climbs trees. Luke thinks he knows. He said it was because he was small in stature, but I think Jesus knew greater reasons why he was up that tree. He was a man who was short on self-esteem. After all, when you know you rob other people and defraud them, you can't hold yourself in high respect and your head high. And Zacchaeus was one of those individuals, and that's why he was short-sighted in his appreciation of himself. He was a little short-sighted also with respectability. People didn't respect this man who had sold out his own people and became a tool of the Roman governor as he was the chief tax collector and revenue officer in that little city of Jericho. He was an individual who was short on courage as well. He could have come to Jesus by night, as did Nicodemus, but no. He wanted to see Jesus, but only from a distance. So he climbed the tree. But Jesus didn't care, you see, what it was that put him up the tree. He didn't want to know the cause. Because, you see, it really didn't matter. He wanted to give the man help, not analysis. Just as a drowning person wants a life preserver and not a lecture on water safety, so somebody who's tree climbing, he doesn't want an analysis of, of what caused him to do that. He wants help and salvation to get out of the tree. And Jesus knew that. So he didn't spend time, as you and I do, trying to analyze the situation. He spoke directly to Zacchaeus. And look how he spoke. He spoke not in terms of what Zacchaeus had done, but rather in positive terms as to what Zacchaeus could do. He did not speak about the past, but he spoke about the potential for the future. He did not speak about yesterday, he spoke about today. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must go to your house today. 
Jesus did not wait for Zacchaeus to change. He worked on the premise that anticipated change would come. He expected Zacchaeus to live at his best. And he spoke accordingly. He met that man where he was, but he didn't leave him there. He expected him to do the right and the good thing. And that's the way he talked to him. He talked to him as though this man had the ability to take care of his needs, that this man would be his host, that this man would be welcoming him into his own household. And he obligated Zacchaeus to live at his best. And sure enough, Zacchaeus, when talked to in that way, scrambles down the tree. And though he had very little confidence in himself, he had confidence in the confidence that Jesus had in him. And though he felt he could not do it, because another person felt that he could do it, Zacchaeus believed that man who had more faith in Zacchaeus than Zacchaeus had in himself. You see how it works? When people expect you to do things, sometimes you can do them even when you don't think so yourself. How many of us live on because of the confidence people have in us, which is greater than the confidence we have in ourselves? That's what people up a tree are looking for. Confidence, help, potential, promise. So Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus. He spoke to Zacchaeus. And then he went with Zacchaeus to Zacchaeus' home. You see, that's the wonderful thing about Jesus, and that's one thing we've got to learn if we're ever going to help people who need help. We've got to be willing to walk with them towards the destiny which is theirs. Now, that means you have to run a risk. Jesus ran a risk. Those religious people who were standing there watching, they ridiculed Jesus. He risked his reputation by walking arm in arm with Zacchaeus to the house of that sinner. Jesus risked his safety. He didn't know whether or not that man would rob him. Zacchaeus probably robbed others. He could very well rob Jesus, but Jesus trusted him. Jesus risked his own safety, his own hospitality, believing that Zacchaeus would fulfill all of his spiritual, physical, and every other type of need. Jesus walked with Zacchaeus. You see, he picked him up where he was and went with him to the place and to the opportunity where he ought to be. And you see, that's, that's the secret, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just enough to look at a person who's having problems and 
shake our head and say, isn't that too bad? It's not just enough to talk about or even to that person about his problems and his fears. We're only successful in helping others when we're willing to risk walking with them towards the place where they can be found. And that's how you help tree climbers. And that's what we are here to do. These past few weeks I've been trying to help us to look at the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And now I'm trying to attack this subject by coming in the back door, by making all of us who have been baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, who rely on the Spirit, who feel that the Spirit is here today with us, who try to listen to the Spirit as he leads us into new truth. I want us all to see that this is a job that the Spirit has called and picked us to do, to seek and to save the lost. There are a lot of people out there in those trees, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of people who for one reason or another do not know or will not know how to ask for help. Yet they are disguising their pleas in so many different ways. And we, the people of God in the world today, by his spirit, it is our job and our responsibility to seek those people out and to try to save them. And that is a tremendously large order for us. And to be very honest with you, it's a very frightening one. Because it's so easy to turn our eyes away from those people. It's so easy to ignore them and not even try to talk with them, especially when there's a language barrier between us. And it's so easy to think that it's somebody else's job to walk with them to the place where they can be found. But ladies and gentlemen, that is our job as disciples of Jesus Christ our job, those of us who are trying to be sensitive to the beating of the Spirit of God. One of the things that I think I have really learned through this recent study, as I've been trying to conduct it from my side, is that God does not make mistakes, and that God is working in your life and in my life, and if we're going to allow the Spirit to reign, then we've not only got to talk about Jesus and ask Jesus for help, but we must take the name of Jesus with us as we sang in that old gospel hymn a few minutes ago, and know that the name of Jesus is with us as people look to us from trees asking and pleading for help, no matter how well disguised those pleas are. I was trying to put this sermon to bed last night, and it hasn't been an easy one. When my telephone rang from an elder of this church, I got a call. And he said, Dick, I've been bothered all day today, and I don't take that except by the power of the Spirit. 
I've been bothered all day today thinking about those 100,000 refugees from Indochina that are coming to the United States. I guess you'd seen a newscast on Friday night. It's upsetting. He said, what do you think we can do here in this community? And he urged me on, he said, let's, let's just not sit and wait for somebody else to act. Why don't we do something here? Take the initiative. Lead out, as Mr. Hepler had in his prayer today. You know, I, I wish in a sense that Carl hadn't come. It would have been so nice just to stand up here and speak pious platitudes talking about what we ought to do. But as I hung up the phone, and as I went back to studying, I had to change the whole conclusion to this sermon. Because, you know, maybe this sermon, which I feel led to preach by the power of the Spirit, and that phone call who worked through another individual, maybe that was not just a coincidence. But maybe on this particular historic day in the life of this church, we are to step out. And some of those people, some of those people who are really up a tree, who don't know where they're going to live or what they're doing, maybe the Spirit is speaking to us, telling us, you down there in Bakerstown Church, reach out and risk. Look around for a place for two, four, six, eight of those refugees to live in your community. Talk and get the money. Risk your reputation. And maybe bring those people into a community of love. And though they just be a handful, maybe only six, maybe only four, maybe only two, why not bring two of those, or however many God would have us, to help? Why not bring them to Bakerstown in Gibsonia and offer them salvation, a house in which to live, and a place where they can be found? We talked about it, those elders who were present in the prayer meeting shortly before worship. And I submit to you that I think we're going to follow that idea. Talk to us about it, will you, if you're encouraging, even if you're discouraged about the prospects. But you know, maybe, maybe this is an opportunity that God is giving unto us to practice what we preach and to help some people to get out of tree climbing into a house of salvation. It's disturbing, isn't it? But it's thrilling to know that the Spirit still speaks. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Father, we're living in days that are exciting, but in a sense that are terrible. Help us to know who we are, and help us not to be afraid to look up, to speak to, and to stretch forth a hand in the name of Jesus Christ.
for the Spirit is upon us, and he is with us. And now may the grace of our Lord, may the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and may the power of his holiness be and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen.